Welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. I am your host, Dr. D. When things go square, when things go pear-shaped, when the shizzy hits the fizzy, we shelter in place. So why do we choose sheltering in place? Why do we recommend that here at Inside My Canoe Head as your start state for your family emergency preparedness plan? Sit back, grab your beverage. We're going to discuss. All right, before we get to the contents of today's episode, I just want to be a shout out. Thank you very much to all of my supporters who are purchasing our first book, Preparedness Simplified Book One, The Beginning, available on Kobo or from my Buy Me a Coffee site. All of the links are available at insidemycanoehead.ca or over at our parent company, preparednesslabs.ca. And why you Give us a shout out and drop by the website. There is a newsletter there that's very important. It's how we put out a this is what's happening in preparedness message. It's once a week. It's always the same time every week. It's not spam. Love it. Hate it. Delete it. Whatever you do with it. It's free of charge. I don't sell the the mailing list or anything like that. So drop over there. I really appreciate everybody's uh, support. Uh, So far, I've got uh, four and a half stars on Kobo. So that's pretty good. Uh, And if you do download the book and read the ebook and you have some comments, I would greatly appreciate it because the second uh, book in the series is scheduled to be out in July, August timeframe. And that will be the deep dive into preparedness topics. We start at the beginning because everything starts at the beginning. We have to lay out the preparedness plan. We have to put the pillars in place. We have to put the steps in place. We have to talk about the basics, the theory, the theoretical framework, and all of those details about preparedness and set you on the path. Book two is the deep dive. This gets way down into food and shelter and uh, all the different things that could happen in disaster impact reduction versus disaster risk reduction and a whole bunch of important topics in a lot more detail But that is irrelevant and stupid to talk about unless you actually have a foundation in place. So the books are saved out in series. There's five. I appreciate everybody's support. But today we want to talk about sheltering in place. Now, as I said, everything has a beginning, right? Uh, we, We start from basic principles whenever we introduce a new concept, whether whenever you're learning a new skill, a new idea. So in this case, when you're when you're starting your preparedness journey or you're well on it and you just need to sit back, grab a cup of coffee, listen to an awesome podcast and, and just reframe and think through things again. We always start with the basics. Now, first of all, why do we talk about sheltering in place as your default option? Right. It's number one is logical right? It's about the people that we love, right? Because everything else doesn't matter. The physical shit you can replace, it doesn't matter. The people that we love is what matters and that's where they feel comfortable. So for the 97 percentile of us who have our home as our safe place, it is the place we crash. It is the place you're allowed to be your unapologetic self without having to follow any stupid and ridiculous societal rules where you can run around in some weird piece of clothing screaming and yelling at people. It's where you can vent. It's where you can discuss really deep and important topics with the people you love. And if you have children, right? If you have children, this is their safe place. This is where they feel at home. This is where they get their sense of security from. 
It's also where everything you own is. And let's not be kidding it. I mean, you probably don't have two residences and a couple of international homes. So everything you physically own is literally in your house. Why would you go anywhere else? And you have to remember that everything you own, including the structure of the house itself, feeds and is part of one of your six animalistic requirements that we talk about here at Inside My Canoe Head, which is your shelter, your food, your water, your health, your safety, and security. All of those are met by what is in your house and the house itself. So by default, from a start position, as a first step in each and every preparedness plan, when the shizzy hits the fizzy and the world goes pear-shaped and something significant happens, it is in all considerations the smartest and most intelligent things to do is to gather at home, right? I mean, you bad things never, you know, the world never goes sideways when everybody's sitting down watching a Sunday TV show together at home and everybody's comfortable, right? It's generally when we're out and about. So everybody needs to get back to home. Now, how you figure that out and how you've got that uh, plan, we'll talk about in a minute. But it's our location, right? The location matters. We know our community. So if you've been in the location for any reasonable period of time, you have a sense of community. You know what goes on around you. And part of our safety and security animalistic requirements, we talk about situational awareness, which is based upon the principle of understanding pattern of life, right? So which means pattern of life is what normally happens where you live, right? So events, activities, cars, people milling about, sounds, those are normal part and they don't raise concerns. So you are familiar with that because it's your location, it's your community. You understand the place that you're in very, very well. And you've chosen it for a reason, right? You haven't been at the point of a gun ordered to live in this house by some crazy government. Uh, you've chosen your home for a reason. Maybe it's employment. Maybe it's close to kids' schools. Maybe it's the view you get out the front or the back window. Maybe you've chosen it because you believe status matters. I, I don't know but you made a conscious decision and maybe it's, you know, I'm challenged economically right now. And so this is not really what I want, but it's the best that I could, whatever the reason may be, you made the choice to live here, right? You made the choice to live here. So you're there because you want to be there or it's the best possible option. And what we talk about in theory is something called a sense of place. And so when we talk about psychological attachment and the reason why people respond and return post-calamity and disaster is that communities that have a strong sense of togetherness, you have a strong, tightly bonded community where you know each other, each other matters, it's a strength. And a lot of times this could be a neighborhood, but what's happening more and more and we see in urban research is a sense of place can be tied to a floor of an apartment building, right? So everybody on your floor of your apartment building, you probably know to see, right? You know their pattern of life. You know when they move about. It matters. Those people matter to you. You matter to, to them. So the reason why this, this is important is because 
people by default want to come home when they're under significant amounts of stress. It, like I said, it's their safe place. So by default, people's natural humanity, their natural animalistic response is going to be retreat to the home base when things get stressful. So one of the challenges that exists in um, emergencies when, when, when something significant occurs in the height of the onset of something is communication. We know that cell phone networks get scrambled. We know text messages are the way to communicate if you can because they they go on a different bandwidth and they do not uh, conflict with phone calls. So for a lot of times you'll be able to get a call through, but you won't be able to get a text through. But in some cases that doesn't work. And I'll give you a prime example. Here in Ottawa in 2018, we had a set of tornadoes go through the city. Now, one of those tornadoes took out a couple of cell phone towers, which meant there was now a dead zone in the heightened area of where the emergency was concentrated, where people's communication was not possible through the modern sense. Now, not all, some of the phone wires were down, so the Bell phone system wouldn't work either, the home phone, um, and people couldn't contact in cell phone. So we always encourage people in your communication plan to have default settings. And, and I'll give you an example here, here at my house, everybody is an adult, right? I've got a rock and incredible uh, son who's building his empire, but today's economic reality is kids just have to live a couple of years longer with their parents. Um, and so there's, we're all adults in this house. Everybody knows that if there's a significant disruption, it is your job to get your ass home full stop. It's a, I live in a city of a million people and Ottawa by default, by just the road network for my American friends, there's 4,000 miles of roads in the city of Ottawa alone, 6,500 kilometers, right? It's massive. It's, it's not that we have a high density of population. We have the opposite problem. We have a very low density. So we're very spread out. I'm not going to jump in a car in the middle of a significant disruption, be bombing around the city trying to find members of my family. It doesn't work. That's the needle in the haystack. So everybody knows as an adult in the best method that you possibly can, you get home. If you can contact, then great. But if you cannot get into contact, everybody knows by default, we are all using our own devices to get home. When we had younger kids, we had a clear plan strategy as to who was going to go to the school to get the kids, all that. We had it all worked out. Everybody, first and foremost, gets their butt to home. Shelter in place where people have a sense of place, where people feel comfortable, where everything I own is, and then we get there. So what does that allow you to do? Well, second, second part of this is that it's your ability to congregate and pause. It's your ability to think, assess, plan in the safety of your home with your animalistic supplies. You have always taken care of your family there. Everybody understands where things are, how things operate in your home. Like you don't have to give instructions to everybody. We understand how to operate in our home. It is a safe place. You can get in there. Um, everybody can take a deep breath. You can make a hot cup of tea or coffee. You can make up a little bit of food and you can sit around and you have time, right? You have time other than 
an evacuation is the only reason you would have to leave that house. Now, for I would argue 90 plus percent of us listening to this podcast where most of the downloads are, evacuation is rare. Now, if you live in Tornado Alley, evacuation may not be the idea because trying to outrun a tornado doesn't work very well. Um, If it's a hurricane, you knew days in advance. I mean, if it was an earthquake and the house is a pile of rubble, well, you're probably returning to the house anyhow. We're going to do an episode coming up on... uh, on that kind of emergency uh, earthquake evacuation uh, for those that live in earthquake zones because it's really, really important and it's uh, we haven't had a big one around the world in a long time. So it's coming. But you know your local hazards where you live, right? You know if you live in an earthquake fault. You know if you live in the path of a hurricane. You know if you live in Tornado Alley, Right. Uh, I live in the city of Ottawa here in Canada. We know that we get periodic ice storms. And every once in a while, nature lines it all up perfectly. So you lose power for seven, eight, nine days. Um, That happened this year, actually. There were some areas that were out for at least that, if not longer, right? So you're in your home where everybody is safe. Everybody's made it home. All of your supplies are there. And that we now focus on what to do next. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that I believe in the theory of disaster impact reduction and not disaster risk reduction. And what that means is that we plan for the loss of hydro. Other than major issues like hurricanes, we don't care and we really don't resonate and spend time concerned about why the power is out. We're concerned that the power is out, right? The reason that that's important is, is that totally simplifies all of the contingency planning that you may have to do, which is why we talk about contingency planning here at Inside My Canoe Head as what we do in the Army. And uh, it basically falls into two categories. You always plan for the most likely event, and you plan for the most dangerous event. And those are two ends of a spectrum. And if you are theoretically prepared to deal with either end of the spectrum, then by default, you have prepared yourself to deal with everything that falls in the middle. So in fact, you don't plan for 72 different possible scenarios and drive yourself nuts trying to figure everything out. You plan for two and two scenarios only, and everything else will fall out from there. So we don't know what the next significant disruption will be. We don't know whether we're going to have another outbreak of some communicable disease. Politics aside, we don't know whether we're going to have a significant hydro outage, which is the most likely event that could occur in the developed world that will cause disruption to your life. When I'm talking hydro outage, I mean, we all have the 48-hour one. We're not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about, with the theory of sheltering in place, are you and your family prepared to shelter in place at your home with all of your family members there without access to utilities? That's the most likely outcome. That's what we try to spend our planning on. And the reason we do hydro is the United States government, uh, FEMA considers 
critical infrastructure, which are the systems that keep our modern, developed, wonderful, linked society working. FEMA thinks they're 16. The government of Canada thinks they're 10. I don't care how many you count. Each one of these require hydro. So if you think of critical infrastructure as the water system in a city, the sewer system in a city, the transportation system in the city, the telecommunications, so your cell phone and your phone network, think of the internet as one. Think as your financial system, so the ability to pay something with a credit card or access your bank online, uh, your your food grocery system, your manufacturing system, your government services. I mean, we all make fun of them, but every once in a while, we actually need the DMV to help us out. These are all elements of critical infrastructure. And for every normal day, they work functioning. You don't see it. It just turns and burns and everything works well. It's all fueled by hydro. When hydro goes down, After a couple of days, you can start getting cascading critical infrastructure failures, right? So when the power is out, most gas stations don't have backup fuel, so they can't pump fuel. Well, if you're smart, you've got at least a half a tank. Well, if you're not going anywhere, it doesn't matter. But if you need to keep up a reasonable amount of daily operations, 72 hours later, you still can't pump gas, right? You start to see the effects of cascading infrastructure. If you take public transit to get to work and get to school, and all of a sudden public transit no longer becomes available to you, how are you going to get to your job? Like these are elements of critical infrastructure and you can go down a rabbit hole with them, but we always start with sheltering in place, hydro is down, your most likely theory, what are you and your family going to do. So the future considerations that we think are important um, to take this as you plan through your preparedness plan, and we talk about this uh, at length in our book, is timeline, right? Sheltering in place is the theory, and it's grounded. It's based on research. It's based on evidence. It's what you should do. Now, your timeline depends on you. Everybody has a different risk profile, right? Whether your risk tolerance Uh, or your risk aversion, whether you're somebody who likes, who can accept risk and not really worried about it, you you figure out you've got a high level of self-confidence, you can deal with things, or you're somebody that takes a lot of planning and puts a lot of safety things in place because you're not a fan of risk. How long? What is your timeline to shelter in place? And we ask this very simple question. How long do you want to shelter in place with the people that you love without access to utilities. So that's water, sewer, power, gas, hydro, all that. You don't have access to it. How long do you want to be able to shelter in place in your residence? Now, a lot of government systems are going to tell you 72 hours is what you hear, right? And the reason 72 hours uh, is found in emergency preparedness and emergency management is there are two reasons to it. One, it is the time that is believed to be necessary for emergency services to save themselves, right? So the, the, the police, fire, EMS, your traditional public sector first responders are going to need 72 hours to unscrew themselves, right? To get themselves ready, to get them up to full operating capacity, to dig themselves out, to fix their own problems related to the disaster, and for external mutual aid benefits to come in from other levels of government and neighboring areas, right? 
as well, it's basic, you know, basic psychology tells us that's about the limit of apathy uh, barrier in human beings. So it's the point at which anything that will disrupt your life longer than 72 hours, it generates an apathetic barrier in your brain. And you're like, I'm not even worried about that. That's just too much. I can't consider that. I that that'll never happen to me. And you discount it and you walk away. So what we use, what we recommend here at Inside My Canoe Head is 14 days. And the reason we recommend sheltering in place for 14 days for all of your animalistic requirements, your food, water, shelter, uh, safety, security, and health for all members of your family in your residence is based upon a historical analysis that's been done and significant research has gone into this. Uh, other than catastrophic loss, i.e. Your, your home's in rubbles because of a... Um, earthquake or you happen to live in a horribly governed place like Puerto Rico, your government will restore the operation of lost critical infrastructure in less than 14 days, right? The probability of that happening is something like the 97th percentile. So if you plan for 14 days, statistical odds will tell you you will be perfectly fine because all of the critical infrastructure will be restored within that 14-day period if you lived in a developing or developed nation. Now, this does not deal with catastrophic losses, like I said, but a shelter-in-place timeline of 14 days allows for you to be able to cover all of the basic requirements for you, the people you love, in the place that they feel safe until as such a time as normal operations get back up and running in the city, suburbia, town, village, where you live. This is not uh, catastrophic loss. That leads to another episode that's coming up as well on significant permanent long-term evacuation strategy. Right. Like I said, there's only really two choices. You're either going to shelter in place or you're going to evacuate. And if you evacuate, um, that's something a completely different animal that, that deserves its own podcast episode. And we will talk about that in grainy detail. But right now, today was all about what we're trying to get across is that sheltering in place is logically for the safety, security and mental health well-being of your family. Planning to shelter in your home is the easiest, most simple, and most logical way to begin your preparedness plan. Think of this. You're out. You're, you're living your normal life. You're rocking your incredible life, which is the purpose of Inside My Canoe Head, to give you the skill set when it comes to preparedness so you can continue to rock an incredible life. And something significant happens to you and the people you love and around you. You all... Get yourselves back by your different methodologies to home. You're prepared to, to shelter in place for at least 14 days. You sit there, you navigate, you think, you plan in a place of calm and peace where you're well-fed, well-watered, you're washed, you're clean, sanitation is taken care of, you have the communications tools to talk to the outside world. All of that is established in your home. Everybody else around you in your community may be going a little stir crazy and losing their ever loving mind, which if you watch the news, it's incredible. Power goes out for three days and you hear people talking about, you know, catastrophic loss, the government's failing us and you just shake your head. Where is this? Where are these people's individual personal responsibility, which was our last episode, which is always the precursor to everything else. Um, 
but you're sheltering in place. You, you've set up conditions for success. You, you've gone to the basic step of preparedness. Everybody's comfortable because they know that when the world is rocking the way it should, they know that they've taken the steps necessary so that when it does go pear-shaped, everybody's going to be okay. Everybody's got a simple plan. And you know what? It doesn't cost you any money. There are no economic barriers to preparedness. It's ridiculous when I read that in research. And I counter people all the time on it. There are no economic barriers to preparedness, right? The reason people cite economic barriers is because the government keeps telling them they got to go out and buy all this crap. If the government says the recipe to preparedness is purchasing an emergency kit with a whole bunch of stuff in it and you have no money, then in a survey, you'll cite economic uh, restrictions as a reason why you're not prepared, right? But you don't have to go out and buy a crap. Everything you need is already at home. It's already there. And that's the reality. I don't want to belabor this point anymore. You all wonderful, incredible listeners out there have a day to rock. You're about to take on. You're doing something really cool right now. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to Inside My Canoe Head. Once again, if you have suggestions for this podcast, if you have comments about the content of the podcast, good, bad, or indifferent, drop me a line at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Jump onto any one of my social medias. Inside My Canoe Head is on every single platform. DM me, leave a comment. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I need to know whether what we're delivering here is what you want to listen to or whether there are subject matter that you would, hey, listen, I'd love to know about this. I, I'd love to hear you talk about X. Now, you got to tell us that. I don't read minds. We got a great schedule plan, but I am happy to kick an episode down the road and input what you're looking for. And again, in the end, this is always free. Everything that we do at Inside My Canoe Head um, will be free across the social medias. This podcast remains free. We are producing a book series and a video course for the summation of ideas and preparedness if it's something you're interested in. But this content here will never be behind a paywall. But if in the end you think and you appreciate what we do here at Inside My Canoe Head, drop over to the link at buy me a coffee that's on the www.insidemycanoehead.ca and drop me a coffee. It's $5 Canadian. I appreciate it. I am fueled by wonderful, incredible, simple black coffee. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen to Inside My Canoe Head. You matter. It's why we're doing this. This is our community service to everyone out there that is listening. So take care, continue rocking an incredible life, and we'll talk to you next week.